You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh God and Heavenly Father, we pray that by the Holy Spirit you might open the eyes of our hearts that the gospel would sink so deeply within us that it might take root and that we might show your great love for us, for and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 3 to talk about what is going on in the life of Corinth. And heretofore in his letter, he's talked about the power and the wisdom and the glory of God being manifested and Jesus Christ and him crucified being manifested in the life of his church and being manifested in the very words of God, the scriptures. And so he begins to lay out the groundwork for his argument as to addressing the divisions that exist in the life of the Corinthian church. And he's already alluded to some of those divisions in chapter 1, but he finally pivots here in 3 and begins to give his attention to what's gone wrong in Corinth. We see that there are divisions, and he doesn't get into the details of those divisions except to say why there are divisions in the church. And he says it this way, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He said there are divisions in the church because you're infants in Christ, you're children. You're children. And what do children do? They fight. Uh, It's amazing to me that you can put any young child in in a room with another young child and they may not have met one another, but they can fight. Uh, I took my three daughters to the daddy-daughter dance on Friday night, which is always a mistake because I know how it's all going to end. And it ended on the dance floor with the two older girls punching and shoving one another while the third who's figured it all out is like a vulture waiting for the other two to get in trouble so she can sweep in and say, I'll dance with you, Dad. Uh, Just unbelievable childishness and and violence uh, on the dance floor uh, with these children. And Paul is saying that's exactly what the Corinthian church is like. A bunch of kids fighting. You're immature. You haven't grown at all in the knowledge and love of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, Paul says, is the greatest reason why there are divisions in the church is childishness because the great mark of Christian maturity... And Paul's letter to the Corinthians is love. That's the great mark of maturity when it comes to 1 Corinthians. That love is demonstrated and how the Christians interact with one another. Because that's not the guiding principle for children. And that's why you hear kids say, but it's my turn. That's not fair. You always fill in the blank for so-and-so. And in the same way, the Corinthians were so overwhelmed with self-interest that it manifested itself in a lack of love for one another. And that's where the problem began. Growing up in Christ means learning to love one another. And so when divisions come to the church, and they're going to come, that's actually the mark of a lively church. 
I mean, if everybody just agrees about everything, that might be a problem too. But it's how we handle those divisions, how we handle those differences of opinion, most especially and more specifically for those secondary and tertiary issues. But I'm afraid what's happened in the life of the church is that that which marks debate and argument in the secular world, especially in Washington, D.C. these days, has begun to creep into the church. And so it's not enough just to disagree with one another, but we feel like not only do we have to disagree, we have to treat the other person as the enemy and work as hard as we can to wipe them from the face of the earth and to go on as if they didn't even exist at all. Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, wrote this about church controversies in his autobiography. If the people on the other side of the controversy are also Christians, then according to the New Testament, I am obliged to love them. I do not have any alternative. I may correct them with gentleness, but I cannot hate them. It is not an option that God and Scripture has left me. And so even in the life of the Corinthian church, which is dividing in some ways over really significant and in some areas primary issues, even in the midst of those primary issues, Paul and the rest of the Bible doesn't leave us the option of hating the other people, to making them objects of wrath and scorn, but understanding if not for the intervention of God in our own lives, we would be in the same boat as they are. And so to look upon them with compassion and understanding and praying that God would open the eyes of their heart and actually loving them. And understanding if you're trying to argue about the great truths of the Bible, yes, we're called to make a witness and to put forth what the Bible has to say, but also at another level, how much does God need us to defend him? You know, it's sort of like trying to defend a lion. As Spurgeon said, you just open the cage and let them out. And so in the same way, we need to understand that in any controversy, those who are on the other side are not the enemy, but ought to be the object of our love and our concern. And yet, there is within the life of the church, in the Corinthian church as well, an unwillingness to engage with those whom we disagree with. Paul says here, and right out of the gate, but I, brothers, he's addressing them as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, you're fellow believers. And Paul is able to say what we find almost impossible to say in the church today, and that is this little sentence here. Brother, you're wrong. Sister, you're wrong. And here's why. Because today in the church, either we say, you disagree with me, so you're not a brother or sister. You're just wrong. Or we think, yeah, I think you're wrong, but I'm just not going to say anything, and I'm just going to let those differences simmer underneath the, the surface until they finally burst forth. Paul says, this is how you find the way forward in unity in Christ in chapter 1. 
In verse 10, he said, I appeal to you brothers, there it is again, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now what is Paul saying? Is Paul saying you just need to sit down and hash it out? That's actually not what he's saying at all. The Greek literally here says, I want you to be saying the same thing. I've sung in a choir before, believe it or not. Uh, and uh, I made tragic mistakes in singing to the choir because if you want to sing in harmony, if you want to sing with one voice as a choir, how do you do that? Now, the way that I did it is I would listen to my neighbor and I would tune my voice to them. And guess what? That does not produce the unified sound that you're looking for. The way you do that is you keep your eye on the sheet music and you keep your eye on the director. And in the same way in the life of the church, when we have disagreements, yes, we listen to one another, but we don't tune our voices to one another. We keep our eye on God's Word and we keep our eye on the heavenly conductor, Jesus Christ. And we say the same thing. We're of one mind that Paul talks about in Philippians 2 that I encourage you to read this afternoon. We're keeping our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ while caring for one another. And so it is a great scandal in the church when there's division. It's a terrible witness to the world, and surely it grieves the heart of God. And it's amazing the little things that we'll get bent out of shape over and cause us to leave the church that we call home. Now, the Corinthians didn't really didn't, didn't have an option. It's not as if they could leave Corinthian Episcopal Church and then go down to Independent Corinthian Church if they had a falling out. Like, this was the option. This is all they had to deal with, and so there was a need for them to work it out. And in the same way, Dick Lucas says it this way, if you leave gospel churches and gospel beliefs and gospel people, that is a very serious sign that something is wrong. I want to make that clearer. If a person who professes to be a real Christian leaves a gospel church and gospel beliefs and gospel people, that should be to them and their friends a very serious sign. It's not a matter of leaving a particular denomination, a Baptist or a Methodist church. It's a matter of leaving behind a Bible church, a real Christian church. Now, there certainly are reasons to leave the fellowship of any given congregation. I know plenty of churches that are orthodox in the faith that have done some terrible things in how they care for their members. Good reason to leave. But if you're in the midst of a gospel church that really is trying to do the hard work of living together as Christ people to simply up and leave over secondary and tertiary issues, Paul would say, is not the right thing to do. In fact, he guards, he says, guard against making those issues things of primary importance. For those of you who say, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human, childish? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? In the same way, when I hear people take a stand theologically and say, well, I'm a Calvinist, or I'm a Lutheran, such language makes Luther and Calvin spin in their graves because they were Bible men. Now, maybe they say things that are edifying to the body of Christ, 
But they would say, don't take our word for it, take God's word for it. And in the same way, sometimes we say, well, you know, I'm an Episcopalian, or I'm a Baptist, or whatever it might be. But Paul would say, what then is Luther? What is Episcopalian? What then is Calvin? What is Methodist? No, they're simply vehicles through whom we have believed as the Lord assigned to each. And they need to be placed in their rightful spots. Paul would also say that when there's division in the church, because there are things that would cause us to leave the fellowship of a church, absolutely, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But Paul says, let's be clear about this, that schism comes about not because people leave, but because of what caused it. The false teaching, the losing our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that's what causes the schism. And sometimes you do have to distance yourself. In the first part of the 20th century, there was a great debate raging in England amongst the uh, Christian ministries at universities. And the great falling out happened between the collegiate, I mean, the Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union, the KICK-U, and the student Christian movement, the SCM. And this is what Norman Grubb, who was a part of those conversations, had to say as they realized they had great differences and they were wondering how much they could cooperate and walk together. Norman Grubb said, after an hour's talk, I asked the president of the SCM, does the SCM put the atoning blood of Jesus Christ central? He hesitated and said, well, we acknowledge it, but not necessarily central. Dan Dick and I then said that this settled the matter for us in the kick you. We could never join something that did not maintain the atoning blood of Jesus Christ at its center, and we parted company. A grievous decision. Now, the SCM at the time was the largest university ministry in England, and it doesn't even exist anymore. You can go to Oxford to the OIKU or to Cambridge to the KICKU and they're thriving large ministries. And it didn't mean that the KICKU and the OIKU didn't cooperate with SCM through the years on various and sundry other things, but what it meant at its core is they couldn't enjoy the deepest fellowship possible because the SCM couldn't say, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And Paul is saying, because that is the very essence of our unity. That's who we are as believers. And that's what he's pointing us back to and the Corinthians back to in verse 11 when he says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of everything that we have. And so imagine it. We spend so much time fighting in the church over these issues that are up here. Instead of actually getting to the heart of the matter, the foundation who is Jesus Christ. And it's like changing out the shutters on a home whose foundation is crumbling underneath it. If the foundation isn't sound, the shutters don't matter. And in the same way in the Christian life and in the life of the church, all that matters is Christ and Him crucified, the gospel. I wish I could say that the church is different today than it was in the time of Corinth. 
but it's not. And that's why the Bible speaks to us clearly today that the divisions that plague us in the life of an individual congregation or even in a denomination, primarily, Paul says, result is a lack of love and immaturity. And until we keep our, until we put our eyes back on the Lord Jesus Christ and focus on Him and Him crucified, the foundation will crumble underneath underneath of us and the divisions will continue. And so what it does mean is growing in love in Christ and growing in love for one another that we care enough to maintain the fellowship, to reach out and even have hard conversations and saying, sister, you're wrong. Brother, you're wrong. But we keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Paul spends the entirety of his letter pointing everybody back to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Jesus. That is the witness that the world needs to see. In the midst of division, in the midst of strife, to hold up the love of God manifested supremely in Christ and Him crucified. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we know that it grieves your heart to see division in your church. And Lord, we thank you for the great hope uh, that is in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that... um, that we wouldn't be uh, so overwhelmed by frustration and insensitivity and a lack of love that we wouldn't care enough for one another to really uh, learn to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to understand that you are our foundation and nothing else. And Lord, that we would be able to have a right perspective on that which is essential and that which is not essential. But above all, Lord, that we would know nothing amongst ourselves and in those we fellowship with than Christ and Him crucified, because in Him is all the power, glory, and wisdom of you, our God and Father, in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.